0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of our triune God, my dear fellow redeemed, if you could be invited to one party in your life, where would you want to go? Imagine that you had a friend or a relative, or maybe someone you had never met before who came to you and said, I am giving you tickets to this event. Imagine free tickets to the Super Bowl or being invited to the Oscars in one of those lavish parties they have afterwards, or maybe being invited to a presidential gala or something that has only happened once in my lifetime, being invited to the royal coronation of a king or queen of Britain. What would you do? How would you react to that invitation? You'd probably filled with gratitude and amazement that this person was giving you this great gift you'd probably count down the days on your calendar waiting with anticipation for that day to arrive and you certainly would make sure that everything was cleared off your calendar so that you would be able to go to that event. But on that day when, say, the limousine pulls up to your house and the man gets out to tell you it's time to go to this event, would you mock and ridicule him? Would you reject the invitation in that moment? Would you make some lame excuse why you couldn't go? That would be crazy, right? That would be an insane rejection of this gracious invitation that you have received. And yet that is exactly the situation that Jesus is describing for us in our parable this morning from the Gospel of St. Matthew. Jesus says that there is a rich king who has prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He had sent out the invitation. He had invited the guests to come. But on the day of the wedding, when he sends out his servants, the invited guests refuse to come. Instead of getting angry, the king is gracious. He sends out more servants to invite these people to say, come, the feast is ready, come to the feast. And what do the people do? Some make lame excuses that they suddenly have pressing business that they need to take take care of in that moment. Others do something far worse. They mistreat and kill the servants of the king. And the the king is angry. He responds by sending his army out to destroy the city and to kill the people who had so gravely insulted him and had murdered his servants. But the king still wants his son's wedding feast to be filled. And so he sends his servants out to the highways and byways of the land and tells them to invite anyone they can find so that his son's banquet is filled because the feast is ready and now is time to celebrate. Now, dear friends, in order to understand this parable of Jesus, we need to understand the context in which he was giving this parable. You see, this parable takes place on either Monday or Tuesday of Holy Week. Sunday had been Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, when Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem on that donkey, and Friday was going to be the day that he was crucified. But during Monday and Tuesday of that week, Jesus was in the temple courts preaching and teaching, and some of the chief priests and leaders of the people came and asked him, by what authority are you teaching these things? And Jesus shares with them three parables, several of these that we have looked at over the past few Sundays. And Jesus uses these parables as an attempt to make one last plea for the chief priests and leaders to repent of their sins and return back to the Lord. He's calling them not to reject God's word, not to go through with the plot to kill him as he knew they were doing. And so Jesus uses this parable as a warning and a reminder for them of what happens to those who continually reject God's word. Now this parable was also meant to call to mind in the minds of these men the events of the past that they knew so well. You see, Jesus, when he's talking about the king sending out his servants again and again and how those servants had been rejected by the people, Jesus is pointing these men's attention back to the events of the Old Testament, to the history of their own people, how God had sent to them his prophets again and again to call them to repentance. You see, in the pages of the Old Testament, we see a pattern that is repeated, how the people of Israel would fall into sin and temptation. They would turn away from God, they would rebel, and they would go after other gods. But God, in his grace and mercy, would send his servants, the prophets, to share with them his word and to call them to repentance. Sometimes the people would listen. They would repent and they would return to the Lord, but later they would again fall away. And at other times, the people would refuse to listen to the warning of the prophets and instead would reject that word, would mistreat, and at times would even kill or try to kill God's whole... God's chosen prophets. We see this in the example of the prophet Elijah, who faced constant threat of death at the hands of wicked King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. We see this illustrated in the ministry of the prophet Jeremiah, who was reviled and mocked by the people for his message of warning, who was so despised by the king that as Jeremiah's prophecy was read to him off of a scroll, he ordered the scribe to cut off each corner or each column of the scroll as it was read and burn it in the fire as a complete and total rejection of God's word. Far too often, this was the pattern that happened in the history of Israel. And now this pattern was repeating with the chief priests and elders of the people. They had rejected the warning of John the Baptist, the one who had come to prepare the way of the Lord, and now— they were rejecting the word of God's own son. And so Jesus appealed to them one last time, giving them this parable, this warning of what happens to those who continually reject God's word. Because God is patient, and he will come to us again and again, offering his forgiveness. But God's patience is not infinite. After a time, after someone continually rejects God's word, refuses to repent of their sin, God punishes those people for their rebellion. We see this in the history of the kingdoms of Judah and Israel, how the nation or how the kingdom of Israel had repeatedly, the ten northern tribes, had repeatedly rebelled against God and so God used the nation of Assyria to punish them, to destroy that kingdom. How later on he used the Babylonians to punish the kingdom of Judah, to destroy the city of Jerusalem, to destroy the temple of God, and to take the people away into captivity. But even then, God in his mercy returned the people so that the Savior could be born. And Jesus several times has warned what will happen to those who continually reject his word. But the chief priests and the elders did not heed that warning. And we know from history that about 40 years after Jesus was crucified, God's punishment came, was fulfilled. The city of Jerusalem, the temple, were destroyed by the Roman armies. It's the same as the king in the parable destroying those who murdered his servants. Now while this parable is particularly Jesus is talking in particular to the chief priests and elders of the people and warning them. This parable still serves as a reminder for us today. A reminder not to make light of the gracious invitation we have been given by our Lord, the invitation of the gospel. Because unfortunately there are times that we do not treasure that gracious invitation as well as we should that we at times allow other things to take priority in our lives. Whether that's work or family or leisure time or a host of other things, we give those priority and studying God's word, coming to worship. That takes second place at times in our lives. But perhaps we don't struggle with those things. Perhaps we are faithful in our study of God's word, but... The sad truth is that any time we fall into sin, we are in fact breaking that first and greatest commandment. We're rebelling against our God. We are failing to make him first and foremost in our lives and give him the love and honor that he deserves. Because whenever we sin, in that moment we are saying that our sinful desire have a higher priority in our life than God. Yes, dear brothers and sisters, we have failed to keep God's commands. We have failed to live our lives as we should. But our God is gracious. Our God still comes to us and extends this gracious invitation to come to the wedding banquet, to that glorious feast that we heard described in Isaiah, who calls it, who says about this feast, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Dear friends, this is an invitation of pure grace because there is nothing in us that makes us worthy to receive this invitation from God. There is nothing that we can do to make ourselves worthy to receive this invitation. God extends it to us and to all people purely through his grace. And it is by faith in his son, Jesus Christ, that we become worthy to receive this glorious invitation. It is the message of the gospel that creates faith in our hearts because by nature, we are all sinners and deserve, are worthy only of God's wrath and punishment. By grace, he has extended to us the invitation of the gospel and by faith, by the miraculous waters of baptism, That invitation becomes ours. Paul describes this amazing power of the gospel in Romans chapter 1 when he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed by faith for faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now in this passage, Paul is not talking about a righteousness that is in us or a righteousness that we can produce. Paul is talking about the righteousness that becomes ours by faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ offered his perfect life as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world. Christ made full and complete payment for the sins of all people. And that glorious forgiveness becomes ours through faith. It is the gospel that changes our hearts. It is the gospel that makes, changes us from being dead in sin to alive in Christ. It is by the gospel that we become God's holy people, that chosen nation, a people belonging to God. Our sins have been completely washed away in the blood of Christ. And we can be certain That God has accepted this sacrifice because three days after he died, God raised Jesus from from the dead. By his resurrection, we know with absolute certainty that our sins have been forgiven. That's why we can confess as we did in our hymn just a few moments ago, Bold shall I stand in that great day. Who can a word against me say? Fully absolved through these I am. From sin and fear, from guilt and shame. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we are forgiven. We do not need to feel the burden of guilt and shame because Christ has lifted that burden from us and has given us the gift of forgiveness. That forgiveness is ours in Christ. And more than that, More than forgiveness, as Christians, as God's holy people, we know that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too will be raised on that last great and glorious day when we will be invited to that great and glorious banquet in heaven, that banquet that we receive just a taste of here every Sunday as we eat and drink of body and blood, bread and wine, that glorious victory feast of our Savior, in that place where there will be no more weeping or crying or pain, and where we will dwell in the presence of our God for all eternity. Dear friends, because we have received this gracious invitation, because we are God's people through faith in Christ, we are called on by God to live as his people. And that is what we do. We live as God's people not to earn his favor, not to make up for our sins of the past, but because as his people, this is what we do. We live in a way that is pleasing to God our Father. In the parable, Jesus talks about a man who comes into the wedding feast not wearing wedding clothes and how enraged the king is at that person there. This is how God feels about our sins. Our sins are an affront to him. Just think of how insulted you would be at your own wedding or at the wedding of one of your children if somebody came in wearing filthy clothes. You would see that as an insult to you. You would see that as someone who is not who is not valuing the invitation that has been given to you, has been given to them. Dear friends, as God's people who have received this invitation from God, we want to do the things that please our Father in heaven. And this is why as Christians we do good works, not to earn his favor, but to do things that make our Father happy, to show our gratitude for this gracious invitation that has been given to us. And we do these things in a variety of different ways. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are all one body with Christ as our head. But just as the body is made up of many different parts and each parts have different gifts and abilities, so we too have all been given different gifts. Some of us serve God by publicly inviting others to come to the great banquet. Others serve God by doing works of service, by preparing this sanctuary for worship, by fixing things around the church, by preparing meal and food so we can join together in Christian fellowship. All of these things serve to build up the body of Christ, and all of these are just as good and pleasing in God's eyes. They're all good works that are done in service to him. And one thing that we have all been called to do to support the work of his church is to give back the gracious gifts that he has given to us, to give back a portion of the blessings that we have so richly been blessed with to support the work of his church. Because not all of us have the gift to go out and to speak and proclaim God's word publicly. And so we support the work of those who do. We support the work of his ministry to go out into the world. Dear friends, all of these works that we do help support the message of the gospel and spread it to the ends of the earth. Now maybe we don't have the gifts to do that on our own, but we can support those who do. And our God has graciously extended this invitation to all people. And so we go forth to spread that invitation to as many as possible, to go out as servants, to invite as many as possible so that they too can come and join in the wedding feast of the Lamb, that glorious banquet that awaits us in heaven where there will be no more weeping or crying or pain. Amen.